Okay. I'd like to ask two questions. Both of them have to do with Bilo. And interestingly enough, you know, the parish is called Boak, but the main actor in the parish, the person that we're interested in, is Bilo. I want to say, first, when you read the parish, and you ask yourself the question, who won? Who won? I mean, Bilal keeps getting beaten down and beating down. He comes to curse the Jews and he, he ends up blessing them. Apparently against his intention and his will. This happens again and again and again. So clearly, Bilal is the big loser. He is presenting himself as a problem solver. You know, come to me, prophet for hire, right? And I'll take care of it. Bala comes, and he says, I've got a little problem here. I've got these Jews running around and uh, acting tough. And I would like you, Bilam, to solve this problem. It's just fun. Okay, it's a little bit of... A little whoop and a little whoop, but Lamaaseh, in fact, he says yes. He goes to do it and he can't. He tries to curse the Jews and he ends up, and he ends up blessing them. However, you know very well that at the end of the parsha, Bilam, either in frustration or in some other. If you look at the last. Makom on page three, the pasuk says, "Vayeshev Yisrael b'shiti, vayachel ha'ar." I'm not responsible for the picture. Vayeshev Yisrael b'shiti. It's a place. Vayachel ha'am liznot el benot Moab. So they were being enticed by the Moabite women. And of course they were being enticed in the direction of idolatry. And from this, there's this tremendous ruckus from which the parasha of Pinchas is born. Right, you know, Pinchas saved the Jewish people. So if somebody had to save the Jewish people, Pshita, that they were in trouble. And they were in trouble because of the Moabite women. <coughs> Rashi says, you see that Rashi? The end. The end of the end. The last parak of Sanhedrin, at least in the Gemara, it's the last parak. The Mishnah is next to the last parak. It says that this whole idea was Bilam's idea. And Bilam, who was unable to curse the Jews, who tried again and again to curse them, came up with this wonderful idea which almost destroyed the Jewish people. Had it not been for Pinchas in the next parasha, the end of this parasha, Pinchas ben Elazar ben who knows what would have been with us. So I ask the question again, the parasha of Bilam, we call it Bolo, but the parasha of Bilam, how did Bilam come out of it? Did he win? Or did he lose? So if you count most of the psukim, where he tried to 
cursed the Jews, he certainly lost. But if you look at the end of the parasha, where he came up with this idea, which I mean, I don't know if it was particularly novel, but he came up with it, right? No one else was thinking in those terms. He came up with the idea. This guy, who himself prophesied, Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov. Whatever that means, in particular, like whatever it was he was talking about in particular, Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov, doesn't sound like you'd imagine that the whole nation of Israel would get involved in debauchery of one kind or another, right? So the same person who said and who talked about about the messianic era for the Jewish people, he came up with the idea that this would work, that the Benot Moab would be able to entice the Jews in that direction. That's, that's the idea he came, he came up with. So my first question is, the question is man chazal. And that question is, how did Bilam come out in this parish? Did he win or did he lose? My second parish has to do with something, with a problem that was invented by Chazal, but which is taken seriously throughout the ages. And that's the first pasuk on the first page. Lokam nevi ozi Yisrael ki Moshe. Look, the second half of the Pasuk is a little beyond us. I don't understand exactly what that means. But it certainly sounds glorious. It sounds like something unimaginable in the most positive of ways. It's, it's something so special that Moshe Rabbeinu is in his own category. The beginning of the Pasuk, right, this is the obituary, the necromancy of Moshe Rabbeinu, the beginning of the Pasuk, Lo kam navi Okay, that I'm a little bit more able to understand. Moshe Rabbeinu, maybe I'm able to understand it because along the way we learned a little bit of Rambam, and the Rambam has a very clear position, which we will see in a moment. But the, the, this I, I think I understand. When it comes to Nebuah, at least this is the way the Rambam understood it, the way the Rambam taught us, and the way I kind of absorbed it. And that is that when it comes to Nebuah, there are different types. There are kind of more advanced, more significant Nebuah. And then there are Nebuah who are a little bit simpler. And one aspect of Nivu'ah that the Rambam distinguishes has to do with clarity of vision and understanding. And so the Rambam says that Moshe Rabbeinu, we'll see in a second, was the clearest, was the greatest understanding. And you know that at the other end of the pole, at the other end of the pole you have Nivi'im, like uh, Zechariah, right, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, Unfortunately, the book of Zechariah is found like it's hard to find it in the Tanakh. You know, it's hidden in Treasar. Treasar itself is hidden someplace in the Tanakh. But if you ever happen upon Zechariah, look at the Rashi, how Rashi begins. And Rashi says, Rashi says, you know, Zechariah was a prophet who did not understand his own prophecy. But he needed a malach, he needed an angel 
who would come and explain it to him. So what happened was that Zechariah saw this vision, and he said, gee, it's a great vision, but what does it mean? And the Malach would come and tell Zechariah what it meant. So Zechariah understood, but it was a step, a step away from the event. The prophet who had a prophecy and didn't understand at all what he saw was, of course, Daniel. Daniel. You remember that the prophecy that Daniel prophesied about the end of days and sort of when the end of days are going to be, and since he wrote what he wrote, where Jews have been thinking about figuring out exactly what Daniel meant. But Daniel himself didn't understand what he meant. He just said it. And so the mystery has never been unraveled, and all the attempts up to today to determine the date of the Messianic era have been proven false. Okay? Now, what does the Medr say? You see the Supreme Varim? Lokan Navi od Yisrael Kimosheh Yisrael Lokan Avol Ba'umot HaOlam Kam Ve'ezezeh Ze'bil'am Ben Ba'or Now, you've never heard this before. I want to tell you without doubt that this is an accurate statement of the Sifri. This is what Chazal said. Chazal looked at Moshe Rabbeinu and Bilam. Bilam, who uh, on any level cannot be considered a positive personality. And they said, which sounds like it means that in the nations of the world there was a prophet greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Or as great as Moshe it doesn't really matter if you're as great as Moshe Rabbeinu, then you're greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Because one of the, one of the points of Moshe Rabbeinu is that he's the only one. Once you have another one, I don't want to get too involved in this kind of mathematical logic, but, but you, you, you understand that as long as there's one of them, so that's something remarkable. But what if there are ten of them? So, okay. So there's another one. So there was a Moshe Rabbeinu in, 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 in Am Yisrael. And there was another one in, uh, in, in, uh, in Moab and Midian. They also had one. So he said, oh, they also had one. So it's not such a big deal. That's the, that's the issue. So the Medrash goes on and says this. Moshe lo haya yodea mimidaverimah. He says, Bilam actually overrode Moshe Rabbeinu. That you could see from the Tzukim that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't always know who was talking to him. But Bilam didn't know who was talking to him. How? There's a Fasuk. Nun Shomea Imre'el. El Moshe lo imo. In other words, Moshe didn't know that God was speaking to him until God spoke to him. He knew when God was going to speak to him. He knew when it was going to happen. It was Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know. He had to wait till he was called. But before he was called, he didn't know that he was going to be called. And Bilam didn't know that he was going to be called. Moshe 
שנאמר, ואתה פה עמוד עם הדיר בלב, מייבד לבמו כשהוא נופל. שנאמר, מחזה שעדיין יחזק, נופל וגלוי עיניים. So עומד is a state of giving כבוד. But when you stand, you stand before the כבוד. But if uh, your mother comes into your bedroom to give you coffee, or, or hot chocolate at night, and you're in your bed, so you stay in your bed. Right? Don't get out of bed. I mean, I'm not talking about now a halachic position. I'm talking, I tried to explain the difference between Omeid and Yosheid. So when, uh, when, uh, uh, when God came to see Moshe Rabbeinu, he was standing. When God came to see Bill, he was lying. Can you imagine that? He says, Mashalim Adavadomeh, Litabachos Shomelech, we are there, Kama Hotsaot Yotsaot Lamelech Shulchanah. So this is like at this end of this, it's also in the Gemara, it's a little hard to understand. It's hard to understand, but it's like intimacy, when you're talking about the king, is a difficult question. Who's intimate? Who's intimate? So you have the, you have the, uh, the, the retainers in the court, the people who come to talk to the king about important matters, the people who deal with, the people who deal with, uh, uh, you know, foreign policy and security, uh, and also they come and they talk, right? But while they're talking, the waiter is going around and bringing out the coffee and bringing it and listening, and he knows. And when they all leave, the waiter is still there. Right, the servant is still there. So, and the servant says, "How are you feeling, Kingy? Right, how are things today? And, uh, and uh, you, are your shirts clean? And are you happy with the meeting? You know, like the the the, the Shabbos is all talks about. So, when it comes to intimacy, you have to differentiate between the great person who may be less intimate and the simple person who be more intimate. But but when you read the Chazal, when you read the Chazal, I think there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the direction that the Chazal are pushing us is to see that there was something so special about Bil'am that he can either be compared to Moshe Rabbeinu or even greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, this leaves us with a riddle that is very, very difficult for us to deal with. So let's look at the Ramah. Let's look at the Rambam. I told you that for the Rambam, the Rambam doesn't interest itself in this Chazal. One can imagine that for the Rambam, this Chazal was absolutely impossible. So the Rambam says in Hilchos Yisodeh Torah, you see the third, uh, the third uh, uh, source. Puts. You know, as Nebuah, you could say general things about prophecy, but they don't include the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is his own category. What's the difference? You see, that for us, for Moshe, for the Rambam, the word omeid, standing, is synonymous with awake. Usually when you're standing, you're awake. When you're lying down, you can go to sleep. But it's not, except for horses, it's like a little difficult for people to stand and sleep at the same time. I know that if they're students, 
they can do it. <laughs> but for most people, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to do. But you remember that the word omeid appeared in the Medrash. And the Medrash wanted to say that somebody who's omeid is less familiar than somebody who's yoshev or shochev. That's the more familiar one. But here the Rambam says, other Rambam, to stand before God and to be awake while standing before God that's the remarkable thing. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. Only Moshe Rabbeinu. We'll continue. Uh, All the other prophets receive their prophecy through an angel. And this is an important thing that the Rambam says. Mashal v'chida means, I mean, the, the words are not identical. But the Rabbah uses both of them. What he means is it needs further interpretation. There's another step. Like you see something. Uh, Yirmiyahu and Avi saw this cauldron and the smoke was going up and it was going in the direction of the north. The smoke out of the pot that was boiling was going in the north. And so he saw it. He saw this vision. But he didn't know exactly what it meant. So he turned to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to ask for an explanation. So the cauldron and the smoke and the fire, that's a mashal. And the second stage of, of, of interpretation means it's a chidah. It's a chidah. So all the other Nevi'im except for Moshe Rabbeinu had to go through a two-step process. They didn't always understand what it was that they saw. But Moshe Rabbeinu always understood. That's what the Rambam said. Talk about the Rambam. Okay? The fikach ro'im mashay mo'im mashal v'chidah. I'm on the end of the fourth line. Moshe Rabbeinu lo'i de malach shenema pel pel daber bo v'neemar v'daber Hashem al Moshe panim al panim. So all of these psukim indicating the special nature of the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. V'neemar t'mod el Hashem yavit kloma she'en sham mashal el ro'ea davar al buryo. This is how the rabbi uses these words. To say something that nobody really understands. Right? In other words, you usually can't explain something that you haven't experienced or that someone else hasn't experienced and passed down to you. Here the rabbi is trying to explain something that he, the rabbi, never experienced. Right? He was never a prophet and he was never a prophet at level B and he was never a prophet at level A. Nevertheless, I mean, you know, you could think about it. Can you know something that nobody knows. I mean, the only person who knew was Moshe Rabbeinu. But according to the Rambam, even though I don't know it, I know what the Torah tells me about it. And since I know what the Torah tells me about it, that's sufficient. So I just have to understand what the Torah is saying. So for the Rambam, the Torah is making a distinction between the prophecy, proper, uh, the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu and then the prophecy of Bilam, uh, the prophecy of all the other prophets, the Jewish prophets. <coughs> so the, the rabbi goes on and he says, Who shall tarab me dala be mar evelo be fidot she aeno mitna baby fida ele be mar esher o edaval buyo. Kolana vi im. Yere im beneath halim umitamogigim umoshabeno. And okay, all the other prophets sort of like go into, into kind of withdrawal when suddenly, when suddenly they, they, they are confronted by God. I mean, it's overwhelming. But not Moshe Rabbeinu. Shatatuvo mekashe dabe ishal re'ehu. 
that for Moshe Rabbeinu it was like a conversation. He had a conversation with, uh, with God. Right, so, you, so you see the Rambam. The Rambam is quite convinced of the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was unique in prophecy and was different than all the prophets that we know of, all the prophets mentioned in the Tanakh. And that difference had to do, as I said, with clarity and understanding. For Moshe Rabbeinu, things that were said were clear, he knew what they were about, and he understood immediately what it was that God wanted to tell him. The Rambam certainly does not mention Bilo in this context. And the Rambam certainly does not say that Bilo was in any way comparable to Moshe Rabbeinu. The Rambam does in the Mornivuchim discuss the question of prophets of other nations. And he tries to minimize the nature of their prophecy. That even those who had some kind of contact with God didn't necessarily have profound understanding of what was being said. That wouldn't make sense to the Rambam at all. Look at the Gemara. See at the bottom of this page there's a Gemara. <laughs> the bottom of the page there's a Gemara. The Gemara says in Brochus of Zion of Aleph, the Gemara says this. Rabbi Yochanan Mishum Rabbi Yossi. You see it? The bottom of the page? Shloshad Varim Bikesh Moshe Milifnea Kadosh Baruchu Moshe Rabbeinu asked three things of God. And he received them. Bikesh Shechina Al Yisrael in other words, this was after, you understand, after the Chet Egel, where there was uh, some question about the ongoing relationship between HaKadosh Bochu and Bnei Yisrael. And HaKadosh Bochu told Moshe Rabbeinu that the leadership would be passed over to a Malach. The Malach would lead Bnei Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe Rabbeinu thought to go back to the previous situation where HaKadosh Baruch Hu somehow the glory of God led B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim and would have led them to would have led them to Eretz Kina so B'kei Shetishra Shechina al Yisrael v'natan lo shenemar halo belechtichai manu right that God will go with us and not an angel this is what interests me in particular. Moshe Rabbeinu asked, that God's presence should not be recognized in the nations. That only Am Yisrael would be uh, uh, with God's presence. No other nation. The Gemara says, Natanlo, Shine'emar, Veniflinu, Ani, Va'amecha. We are different. 
right, that only Am Yisrael has this advantage of being with HaKadosh Baruch the third thing is that Moshe Rabbeinu asked for further information on the nature of God and he received it so you have a Chazal Chazal seemed to indicate that Moshe Rabbeinu was careful in order to uh, uh, make sure that the distinction between Am Yisrael and the other nations of the world would remain clear to everybody. And so you know the story of Yonah Navi. The story of Yonah Navi has several aspects to it. One was that the people in Ninveh did Shuva. Right? And of course that was problematic for Am Yisrael if the Goyim are doing Shuva. How come Am Yisrael is not doing Shuva? You have that whole... But there's another aspect to it. And the other aspect is that the prophet who delivered God's message to Ninveh was a Jew. In other words, the story, the story is also that story. I mean, there are different stories. Every story is made up of, of stories. There are stories and stories. But the other story here is that who brought the message? Yonah brought the message. Of course, there's another story about why Yonah didn't want to bring the message and where he went and with the boat and with the whale and all that. That's like also a story. But there's a simple story. And that simple story is, simple story is that God did not send a non-Jewish prophet to the people of Ninveh to teach them that they should do tshuva. And we don't know why. But we can surmise, based on the Gemara and Brachot, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had acceded to Moshe's wish. And that prophecy was not known amongst the nations. Right? It was not even clear that Jews could prophesy outside of Eretz Yisrael. Right? That was itself not clear. But it was certainly true it was certainly true that there were no prophets amongst the Goyim and therefore in order for the Goyim, the people in Ninveh to believe that the message came from God who had to go? A Jewish prophet. Right? You couldn't take an out of work non-Jewish prophet for this message. So you see that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe Rabbeinu was, was successful. His request was asked, was answered. How does this connect to what we learned about Bilam, Bilam was a prophet, Bilam was a non-Jew, Bilam uh, uh, lived in a non-Jewish country and acted in a non-Jewish country. If you look at, turn the page, the second source, right, that's where he lived. So Bolok sent agents to Bilam, Asher on the har etzbedei amolik krolo, they're kind of like what they call in Hebrew tziyunet derech, right? You know, landmarks. How do you find Bilam? Likrolo lemo, to call him, to call him to action, to give him a job, to hire him. Right? We would say it in all those kinds of words. He neam yatsami mitzrayim and ekisat ein haaretz who yeshev. You believe? I mean, there's danger. Go and tell Bilam that we have a problem. And then he's going to solve the problem. Rashi says, 
Rashi says, Eretz B'day Amo. You see the Rashi? The second Rashi. On this Pasuk. Eretz B'day Moshe Balak. Right? The, the, the land of the people of Balak. Balak. Misham Haya. Vizehaya Mitabe Vomelo Atid Ata Vimloch. So, of course, Rashi is telling us, and it's in Chazal. Rashi is telling us why Balak picked Bilam. Because he had experience with Bilam, and Bilam once prophesied that he would, uh, that he, Balak, would become king. So, uh, so Balak figured, you know, and he did become king. Right? Bilak became king. You know, he was a lot of stories, even in the Tanakh, about kings who were not the sons of the previous king. So they kind of came along. So Balak liked Bilam. You know, he did him, it's like a, like, you know, somebody who gives you advice on the stock market. So when he makes money, you always think that he's brilliant. And when you lose money, you think he's a fool. So here's Bil- Balak. He thought Bilam was a genius because he prophesied that he would become the king. Now listen to Rashi. Rashi quotes the Tanhuma, and the Tanhuma says it at length, but Rashi says it briefly, and briefly is also good. So Rashi is different than the Rambam. The Rambam says, there's Moshe Rabbeinu, there's Awan Nevi'ah, that's what there is. Rashi says, okay, how come Hishra Shekinato, what's the Raya, by the way? What's the Raya? The Raya, according to Rashi, is that he prophesied that Pollock was going to become the king. I mean, did he do anything else? I mean, did he do any other prophecy that we know about? That was it. He prophesied that Pollock would become the king, and when he became the king, everybody said, oh, he's great. What happened after that that we don't know? Until Bullock went to him and said, Look, I want you to help me out on this matter of the Jewish people. So Rashi says, This is odd answer, very odd. Right, you know, the end of days are going to come. And the Jewish people are going to be riding high, and they're going to be keeping the Torah in the mitzvot, and all the other people are going to be left out. They'll all become drawers of water and ewers of wood, or whatever that becomes. They say, what? Well, we don't deserve this. We didn't have any prophets. Israel had prophets to tell them, straight and narrow. If we would have had prophets, we would also be a tzaddikim today. So, in order that the Jew, that the Goyim, should not be able to say that, HaKadosh Baruch said, okay, have a few Nevi'im. Uh, have some prophets. They partsu gather ha'olah. And they destroyed the fences that kept the world going. How so? Shevetchilah, you geduim barayot. It's in the beginning. The people of the world were also careful about illicit sexual activity. Gedurim barayot. So Rashi, Rashi said that, okay, because of the myth of the Medrash Tanchuma, you want to look at the Tanchuma, it's the beginning of the Parsha Balak, look. But what happens according to Rashi? What do you mean? The, Rashi wants to tell us about how the Nevi'im messed up, right? How the Nevi'im messed up the Goyim. 
It didn't work like they, 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 God gave them prophets, but instead of them becoming good, they became bad. They became bad. And what's the writer? That Bilam told Boak to send the women of Midian to seduce the Jewish people. What does that have to do with prophecy? Why doesn't the Medrash say, and so Bilam, you tried to use his power as a prophet to curse the Jews. God wouldn't let him. So you saw that the prophecy was being misused. Why did he say the prophecy being misused? Because he gave an Eitzah that, that, that the Jewish people might be susceptible to Arayot. Well, what's it got to do with our conversation? My question was, question, was why are there prophets amongst the Goyim? Answer, because the Goyim, or otherwise they would complain that there were no prophets, therefore they were not good people. They gave a prophet. Look what happened. The prophets messed up prophecy. They messed up the world. How did Bilam mess up prophecy? Prophecy, he tried to curse the Jewish people against God's will. Imagine that. No, that's not what the Major says. The Major says because Bilam suggested to the Jewish, to, uh, suggested to Bolah that he should send the women to entice, to entice the Jews. What? One more pasuk. One more pasuk. Perak of Dalit, Perak of Dalit, Pasuk Yud Dalit. After the whole story with Bilam is over and he becomes a failure, he's not able to curse the Jews. So, so the parting shot, Bilam's parting shot to Bullock is not only can I curse them, not only will I bless them every time instead of cursing them, but I want to say that this is only the beginning of your troubles with B'nai Yisrael. They're going to beat you at every, at every turn. So look at Rashi. Rashi says, So here Rashi says that I will give you an Eitzah. Ma'alecha la'asot. Ma'ay Eitzah. Elokeyem shel elu solezi mahu. God hates arayot. Kide'ita b'chelet. This is a Gemara. So this is called in the Chumash itself, it's called an Eitzah. It's not called Nivuah. It has nothing to do with the fact that, or it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the fact that Bilam was a Navi. Okay, now I'll tell you something. I'll tell you some, uh, some interesting things. Is a story that's related by the Torah Tzmima. The Torah Tzmima was the Arach HaShulchan Sam. The Torah Tzmima was the Arach HaShulchan Sam. The Arach HaShulchan's name was Epstein. And he lived in a city in Lita called Novardohok, which we call Novardohok. That's where he lived. And his father, the Arach HaShulchan, was a great genius, and he wrote a comprehensive, uh, like sort of an intellectual shulchanot. Like he, he wrote all the regulations of the shulchanot that he thought were necessary uh, for life today, but then he explained why the conclusions are either uh, correct or where they should be modified. And then he wrote another shulchanot 
are all the halachot that we don't keep today. Right? Halachot that are connected to the Beit HaMikdash and halachot that are connected to Eretz Yisrael. Right? Mostly, most of these halachot we don't keep, even though today we keep some of them Midrabana. So his son, Baruch Epstein, he had a son. His name is Baruch Epstein, whose mind was similar to his father's mind. And he apparently remembered everything that he ever heard. And so he tells it, so he wrote, he wrote the commentary that, we, that is called Torah Mima. In the introduction, it's, it's sort of like this, the Chomish and Rashi, and then a collection of Mamare Chazal, and then a commentary on the Mamare Chazal, and he writes in the introduction that he saw that a lot of Jews, when they went to shul Shabbos morning, uh, during Kriyatza Torah, were a little bored. They, they weren't so interested, so he thought if he would write up the Torah Tmima, he would put in all this interesting stuff, so people would be able to learn a little uh, during uh, Kriyatza Torah. But, uh, the, the, uh, we know very well that the interest that we all have in being bored far outdistances any interest that we might have in being interested. So that today nobody learns what the Torah Tzvima wrote. But today they have another thing, they have these Dapim uh, for Parashat HaShavua. Right, the Dapim for Parashat HaShavua, they're divided into two categories. In my opinion, I divide them into the ones people are interested in, and the ones that people are not interested in. And the Tzad HaShavet, between the ones that people are interested in, as opposed to the ones that people are not interested in, are that the ones that people are interested in have advertisements for vacations. So if you look at them, you'll see people in shul concentrating intensely on the, on the pricing for vacation weekends in different places. Or, if you can't afford a vacation, so you're, you're comparing the prices of refrigerators or something of that. And the dapim, the, the parcher sheets, that people don't usually look at much are the ones that have no advertisement. Now, this is even true if you have yourself downloaded it on Friday and bring it with you to shul, you're still not going to look at it. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's like a badge of courage. You know, like, I put in my time, I downloaded it. And here it is. And if the guy sitting next to me wants to look at it, that's fine. But I'll look at the advertisements. So, so, uh, so this is the territory. The territory had a, made an attempt to put out something that people might be interested in. But of course it was too scholarly, it was too lumdish, because that's the old, but he has all kinds of stories that he puts in. And here's a story. Right, remember I said that this idea that Bilam, or Russia, was a great, this, this is not in your, uh, I, don't, I didn't give it to you, you know, the, you know the principle that the teacher should always have some sources that he doesn't share with the students? Otherwise, he won't have anything to do. So here we are. The, the Torah Tzmima says this. He says, when I was in Volozhin, he was in Volozhin, he was a student in Volozhin. Remember, he came from the Vardek, three-syllable city, and he learned in Volozhin, a three-syllable town, in which there was a famous yeshiva. And the Russian yeshiva 
in the lodging when he was there were his uncle, who was the Nitziv, Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, and they all, they all related, of course. Everybody in Jewish history who was very smart and a big Tamil Chacham, they're all related to each other. Right? Everybody else, not interested. So, the, the other Rosh Yeshiva, at the time, was Rav Chaim Soloveitchik. Right? Rav Chaim Soloveitchik is Rabbi Soloveitchik for Boston's grandfather. Right? Who then, when his father died, his father was the Beit HaLevi. That was what they called him. His name is Yosef Dov. Just like Rabbi Soloveitchik in Boston's name is Yosef Dov. His uh, great-grandfather's name was also Yosef Dov. And he was the rub in a city called Brisk. We called it Brisk. They called it Vestmetovsk. It was a big city, and he was the rock. When he died, his son, Rav Chaim, who was till then a Rebbe in Volozhin, left Volozhin to become the rock in Brisk. And for then and forever after, he was called Chaim Brisker. Right? He was the, uh, we called him today, we call him the Brisker rock. He was the Brisker rock. I mean, he left. The reason that he left Volozhin uh, uh, is a little more complicated, not only because his father died, but because they didn't get along with uh, the Nitziv, who, as we said, were, they were all related to each other. So now it is relatives don't always get along so well. So he tells, the Torah Tzvima tells a story about when he was a student in Volozhin. Uh, now, if you read, he also wrote an autobiography, a very interesting book called the Makar Baruch. He, the Torah Mima, wrote an autobiography. It's called Makar Baruch, which I say is a very interesting book. And in this autobiography, he mentions that since he was related to, he went when he was very young, you know, he was like a genius, so they accepted him at a very young age, and he used to live with the Nitzvah. You know, they were smart enough to know that little kids shouldn't be in the dormitory with big kids. Or so they didn't have a dormitory, they used to eat, sleep at people's homes. So the, so the, uh, the Taratmima slept with the Nitzit. So he was able, you know, in his house. So he was able to know, to get to know, you know, his, his relatives, the Nitzit and the Chayim. So he says this. This is a story that's told in different versions, in different places. But the, but the Teret Mima tells the story, he tells the story from his own recollection, and since we know he had a brilliant mind, and he remembered everything, you know, there are people like that, that can't forget anything no matter how they try, he was one of those people. He wasn't a Rosh Hashiva, he wasn't a robber in the city, he worked in a bank most of his life, he was like an accountant, and he did these things on the side, he wrote everything, like when he was going from here to there, or from there to here, so he says this. He says, I want to explain something about Bilam and Moshe Rabbein. So he says, he says, Nehirna, he says, it became clear to me, when I was a student, B'tzel Ulpana Rabbata de Kadosha Valoshin, in this great school that I went to called Valoshin, I heard in the name of that great genius Rav Chaim Volozhin, the Gaon Rav Chaim Volozhina, the following explanation. I heard a wonderful explanation for this statement that Bilam 
was greater than Moshe Rabbein. He says, Alpima Shah, Lenesher Ba'atalev. He says, you have to think, he, Rav Chaim said, you have to think about an eagle and about a bat. Right, an eagle and a bat. It's very hard for me coming from Brooklyn to think about either, but let's say you could. There's an eagle and there's a bat. Right? I've not met up with either of them. Sheshnehem yodim, listen to what Chaim said this book. Shnehem yodim, eitzrichat Hashem etuviyat Hashem. Both of them, the bat and the eagle, they know exactly when the sun rises and when the sun sets. They know that. From, from the point of view of the eagle and the point of view of the bat, two different events are happening. Two different events are happening. Right? It's clear to us that the eagle, eagle, eagle ohev kaneh ashemesh hu uvalayla enough paid hot of The eagles love it when the sun comes up. And they go flying around and doing what, but at night, they can't see so well in the dark. So they, so they roost someplace. They sit someplace and they don't, they don't bother anybody at night. That's the eagle. But the bat, the bat, the bat loves the darkness. But he's afraid of the light of the day. And he says, therefore, both the eagle and the bat know exactly when the sun begins to shine. But they use this knowledge in different ways. There's the eagle and the bat. He says, for the nasher, for the eagle, the light, the light produces life. It's, it's clarity. It's a new vision. All of that comes from the light. But the bat, he knows about the light. He knows that it's time for him to hide out, to go back into the cave, to hang from the ceiling, whatever, whatever he does. And therefore, when it gets dark, both the eagle and the bat know very well that it's gotten dark. So the Nesha knows when the light comes up, the bat knows that he should go and hide, and the eagle knows that he should go and roam around the world because the light is good for him. He says, this idea is parallel to Moshe and Bil'am, to the knowledge that they had of Dat El-Yom. 
כיוון את השעה, לתלות בני עליון וכך ליצור. He tried to deny the prophecy. He tried to say something that was, he was like the bat, and the bat in the light. The bat who couldn't put up with the light. The Negezele ate, and this Temutzra wrote, Ha'or ha'shva'at ha'tovah, ma'komam lakhu, ruach kehev, zam, v'ketzef al Yisrael. Or az mitorer ba'bil'am, im nevu'ato l'f'ol l'ashe yachon. So Bil'am acted against the light. So when we say that Bil'am was a prophet, like Moshe Rabbeinu was a prophet, or even maybe greater, I mean, this, he doesn't explain it, but he says, he's trying to compare the prophecy, how can you even imagine that the prophecy of Bil'am was similar to the prophecy of, of Moshe Rabbeinu? He says, well, what it means is that there was an awareness in both of them. But that awareness turned Moshe Rabbeinu into Moshe Rabbeinu, and that same awareness made Bil'am run away and hide. ונתאחמק ועבר וכבש נבואתו עד יבוא זעם. ומבואה לפי זה, שאמנם שניהם ידעו לכוון דעת עליון, it's true that both of them were able, both Moshe Rabbeinu and Bilam were able to know when God was present in their midst, אבל זה פירש לאוריון, וזה לחושך. והביאור יקר ונכפד באוצר. That's what the Chaim said. That's what the Torah Tmima reports when he was in the lodging. This is how he heard that the Pesach was, was explained. That Moshe Rabbeinu and Bilam had this power. But for Bilam, it was, it was too much. He couldn't take it. He went looking for the darkness. And Moshe Rabbeinu was able to absorb, was able to absorb the light. Chazal said, Lo kam bi Yisrael ki Moshe, אבל באומות העולם קם. לא קם בישראל כמשה. זאת אומרת, זה חסידיש אינטרפריטיישן. רב שמחה בונם אבקשיסחה. אני לא יכול לתת לך להגיד לך מה רב שמחה בונם היה. אבל הוא היה מעניין. רב שמחה בונם אבקשיסחה אמר, הוא אמר, הוא אמר את זה. כולם יודעים שהפרופט מתחיל מהאנשים. A prophet is not just a satellite running around on his phone. But prophecy is at the end of the day a reflection of the nation in which the prophet finds himself. Yes, it's true. Not everybody in the nation is a prophet. And not everybody in the nation is a great man. But the cumulative nature of the people of Israel of the people of Israel is what produces prophecy. So the Vasich Abidim said this. You know, when we say, Lo kam bi Yisrael ki Moshe Ha'ot, we mean that Moshe Rabbeinu was an anomaly. Because the nation of Israel, as a nation, could never have produced Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was produced by a Kodesh Baruch Hu at a particular time in history, 
because of the great need to bring the Torah into the world. And as the Rambam said in Chos Torah, you needed clarity and you needed vision. And we know that at the end of the parish of Yisro, and at the parish of, of Mishpatim, the Jews said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you go, we don't want to get the Torah. We don't want to stay there in our Sinai. It's too hard for us. So that, that Rav Sizabunim says, Moshe Rabbeinu, lo kambi Yisrael ki Moshe od, meaning that it was a singular achievement that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created within the world that they should be Moshe Rabbeinu. And the other prophets, as the Rambam says, all the other prophets are really you get what you deserve kind of prophets. It's the prophecy of the nation. It's the people that Am Yisrael deserved to get. Lokam Yisrael Moshe. There was never another Moshe Rabbeinu. But, but, in the Umot HaOlam, they did get what they deserved. Bilam was a worthy prophet. Because as the Gemara says, the Gemara says that they were, they were involved in our riots and they involved in terrible things. And so they got a prophet who was like that. That's who he was. And that's why Rashi says, that's why Rashi says that the Eitzah is a reflection that the, the advice that Bilam gave at the end that he should send the prostitutes in order to do with being Am Yisrael. That's who he really was. That's who the prophecy of Bilam was. That's what Sigurdunim says. That who you are and where you come from, the nation from which you were spawned, that's the nature of your prophecy. So it's not that we should be surprised. So what the Chazal meant to say is that Moshe Rabbeinu is not necessarily a function of Am Yisrael. But Bilam is a function of Moab and Midian. He belongs, he belongs to that. And so you see, there are two different stories. There are two different stories. One story is about prophecy. When it comes to prophecy, when it comes to prophecy, that's between Bilam and HaKadosh Baruch. It doesn't have anything to do with Am Yisrael. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu prevented Bilam from acting as he wanted to act because that impinged directly on the will of God. It's inconceivable that Bilam would be able to direct God's will in any way. But when it came to Eitzah, when it came to advice, we're talking about the same person, the same Bilam. But then... There's a question of Yetzer Hara. There's a question of goodness and badness in Am Yisrael. There's a question of how Am Yisrael could fortify themselves or had fortified themselves in order to make this, to, to make themselves uh, or to protect themselves from this kind of an attack. So then HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not intervene. There are two stories. One has to do with Bilam thinking that prophecy was a way to affect heaven, and that could not be. And the other was an Eitzah, 
that Bilam gave, which was to affect the Yetzirah of Am Yisrael, and since they had not yet learned to control that, they fell, and they were punished, punished for that. So you see, uh, Rav Chaim says, Rav Chaim says, you can have a prophet amongst the nations, and he can even be called a great prophet, but he's going to run away from light. He's not going to be able to absorb the blessing that comes from heaven. He's going to try to deny it and deflect it. That's what Rechaim said. And so he's like the bat. And Moshe Rabbeinu is like the eagle. For Moshe Rabbeinu, the light is everything. And for the bat, the light is a disaster. Rav Sinchabunim of Shisla said that prophecy is related to the nation. Lokambi Yisrael Kemosha Oth is not just a bold statement of the fact, but there can't be. It could not be that there'll be another Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Moshe Rabbeinu did not, strictly speaking, grow out of Am Yisrael. And his job was to bring the Torah into the world. Something that it seems Am Yisrael was not prepared to do on their own. But in the nations of the world, the prophet was a reflection of the people. And so you see that the prophet Bilam, he was a prophet, but he was a bat. He was a prophet, and he was totally involved in sexual misdemeanors and destroying the world through, through this method of Arayot. So that the parasha, strange as it seems at the outset, has some significant lessons to teach us. Have a good chance.